Ever thought about setting up a website to advance a business idea or share your knowledge? If you don't know where to start, then let's be partners. I'm Jonathan Mosen, and at Mosen Consulting, we work with our clients every step of the way, doing as much or as little as you need us to do. We'll set up a domain name, design a logo, install and configure the website, and then give you a personalized manual written in clear Mosen Consulting style so you can run the website yourself once it's set up. Working closely with you, Mosen Consulting will deliver a website that's accessible, classy, and functional. Contact us and describe the website of your dreams at mosen.org. That's M-O-S-E-N.org. Welcome to The Blind Side. News and information from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosen. A warm welcome back to you. Thank you for downloading this episode of the podcast. And if it's your first time, what a special welcome. You can go back through the archives of The Blind Side if you so wish and take a listen to things that we've talked about before. In last week's episode of the podcast, we talked about this new Sony 49-inch Bravia TV running Android TV. That is here at Mosin's house now. And I tell you what, based on all of the email that we've received to our feedback address, theblindside at mosin.org, which you're welcome to use to get in touch. Gee, if I could just get a 10% commission for all the TVs that people say they are going to buy as a result of that demo, well, it might help me this month. Because this month, I have three of my four children celebrating birthdays. Happens every May, funnily enough, happens every May. Not very good planning on our part, I have to admit, but there it is. So a pretty expensive month is May. I could do with the help, but I'm not getting any commission, so I'll just have to beaver away here at Mosin Consulting instead. Up ahead on the podcast this week, we're going to be talking about a much-loved service, not just in the blind community, but also in the wider print disabled community. Brad Turner joins us. He's with Benetech, the people that bring you Bookshare. And we'll find out plenty about this much-treasured service. Before we do that, though, a couple of programming notes. The companion show to this podcast is called A Kappa at the Mosins. It's our live global call-in show where you can dial in via the phone, you can use your web browser if you use Firefox and Chrome, and you can tune in and hear live the views of other blind people about a wide range of subjects. This week, we're going to be talking about sight. Is it a gift that you would embrace or an unwanted gift you would politely refuse? Some people say that if they were given the opportunity to have sight, even if they've never seen before, and no matter what their age they would take it in a heartbeat. Other people say that they've been blind so long that that's their norm, that's what they're comfortable with, and they wouldn't take sight under any circumstances. My hunch is that if you've had sight at some point in your life, almost everybody would want it back, but maybe that is not the case. Maybe there are people who have been sighted and who are now quite comfortable with blindness. So we'll talk about this whether you would want sight if it were offered to you, whether you've been able to see before or not. And we'd love to get your perspective on this. A cover at the Mosins airs on Mushroom FM at www.mushroomfm.com on a Thursday night at 9pm Eastern US time. Now, if you go to the schedule page at mushroomfm.com slash schedule, that's mushroomfm.com slash schedule, then by default, you will see 
the schedule displayed in your local time zone so you don't have to do all these convoluted conversions if your local time zone is not Eastern US time. So that way you can find out when it's on in your time zone. You can also listen to Mushroom FM in all the good radio apps for iOS, Android, even Apple TV. You can also find it on the Victory to Stream in the radio section, which makes use of the Utunes directory. And of course, there's an accessible online player at www.mushroomfm.com as well. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. What can you do on Saturday night when you don't got nothing to do? Something new. And where can you go on Saturday night when you don't got nowhere to go? I don't know. And tell me, what could you say about a Saturday night when you didn't have nothing to play? I can tell you, it's boring. Yeah. It's boring. Boring. I'm snoring. Snoring. I'm snoring. snoring. I'm nearly falling asleep. Don't let this happen to you. Listen to Snow White FM, Saturday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern on Mushroom FM. The Mushroom FM. Our place, our issues. The Blind Side with Jonathan Mosen. Gaining access to more reading material is about more than having good books to enjoy, which is, of course, a worthy end in itself. It's even about more than having access to material that can advance your education and training. Being able to read a book at the same time as your sighted colleagues are talking about it around the water cooler facilitates full inclusion. And many of us can still remember that due to resource and technological limitations, it could often take months for a bestseller to be made accessible. Now there are many accessible ways for us to read a book, often in a timely manner, and one of those is Bookshare, which is specifically for print disabled people. More than 425,000 people in 70 countries have access to Bookshare's collection of 546,950 titles. More than 820 US and international publishers contribute to its social mission by donating their digital files, making it possible for Bookshare to serve users around the world and ensuring that content is available to print-disabled people at the same time as their peers. Bookshare is a service of Benetech, founded by Jim Fruchterman, and many of you who go back far enough in assistive technology will remember his impressive work with Arkenstone and OpenBook. Brad Turner is Benetech's Vice President of Global Literacy, and he joins me via Skype. Now, Brad, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, for those who haven't used Bookshare before, let's begin by discussing who can access it and how you can access it. Yeah, so so uh, that was a tremendous introduction. Bookshare is the world's largest library of accessible materials for people with what we have called a print disability. And, and that means someone who is blind or visually impaired, has a mobility impairment, meaning they can't operate a printed book, uh, whether it's hold a book or turn the pages, or someone who has severe dyslexia or a reading disability, um, learning disability. So there are specific laws in each country and more so now with something that we can touch on a little bit later with it, the Marrakesh Treaty. But there are laws within each country that allow people with print disabilities to have access to both copyright and out-of-copyright material without fear of copyright law repercussions. 
if you think about the way a standard walk-in-the-door library operates, if they have two copies of Harry Potter on the shelf and three people walk in looking for Harry Potter, the third person who asks gets to wait for that copy of Harry Potter to be returned by one of the first two. With something like Bookshare, as long as you have a proof of a qualifying disability, you can get access to Harry Potter or any one of the other 545,000 titles that we have. Because of our publisher relationships, um, they have given us distribution rights for their titles in many cases all around the world. There's a few places where they don't have distribution rights for those titles, and so and so they, they can't, of course, grant them to us. But of those 545,000 titles, you know, more than 400,000 of them are available in every country around the world. As long as you have a qualifying disability, and again, it's copyright law that forces that, as long as you have that qualifying disability, then you can get access to those bookshare titles. People have often complained about the medical model that Bookshare uses and saying it's it, it's a little bit paternalistic in some ways and that wouldn't self-identification be a valid way to proceed if you self-identify as a person with a print disability. But you're saying that that may not be sufficient to satisfy all jurisdictions. Yeah, so we have been lucky enough to build relationships with, as you mentioned, about 815 publishers Many of them in the United States, but but a growing number of them around the world. Every single one of those publishers has given us books for free. And we're a nonprofit, so we're not making money off of it. But they give it to us for free with the understanding that we only give those books to people with print disabilities. So our response to that is we will validate with every member that they have a qualifying print disability before we give them a book. Now, that's probably 350 million people around the world because it's arguably 3 to 5% of the population. This is not a, not a small group, but if we said to publishers, hey, we're going to give it to anybody who just tells us they have a, a print disability, all of a sudden the, you know, the questions get raised where they say, how much are you digging into my available market where I can sell my titles? They are in business because somebody has entrusted them to help make money selling titles. And, and, and we don't want to jeopardize that. Our mission is to make sure that people who can't read traditionally printed books have access to them in a way that they need to read them. And so we want to honor those publisher relationships. That's part of our kind of rights management agreement with the publishers. And in our need to honor those relationships, that gives us the ability to have such a vast collection. I've always admired Jim Fruchterman's model of social entrepreneurship and the idea that you can operate a successful business in an ethical way that doesn't necessarily put the profits of shareholders first and foremost and is sustainable. And because of that model, there are many ways that people can access bookshare content if they do qualify. So you could use it on a PC with uh, either on the web or with a, a number of applications. On a smartphone, you have your own app. But what's interesting is that because of that model, you're not intent on making people buy your particular app, although some may choose to, but you have an, an API, an application programming interface. And so that will allow a range of applications to talk 
to Bookshare, and then you've got the standalone players, I guess the most famous of which is the Victor Reader Stream. So a whole bunch of ways to access the content. Yeah, and more and more so, we have backed away from building our own apps. We used to have an iOS app, an Android app, and then fairly recently released uh, a web app so that the book just opens up in your browser. But our partners have really stepped up, and there are, you know, maybe a do- that we have, uh, you know, 25 different partners, but maybe a dozen of them, 10 of them, something like that, that, that have fairly successful commercially available products that read Bookshare books plus other books, plus, plus books from other libraries. So what that allows Benetech to do is really focus our time and effort rather than spreading across applications and building a web service and building the collection and doing outreach. We can really build the premier web service and start to add features to that web service that then we can expose via API and an application that is more desirable in New Zealand because of vernacular interface on the menus, menu structure versus one in the U.S. versus one in Europe versus uh, one in India. You know, all of those different applications can just write to our API and pull Bookshare books. You mentioned uh, mobile phones, Android and iOS. We have tablets. We have Chromebooks. We have, of course, uh, the web, and then all the specialized players, Humanware and the Victor Reader Stream and the Daisy Players. And right there, there are a number of those devices out there as well that people still rely on. Yes, I know a lot of iOS users are using Bookshare with Voice Dream Reader, which is wonderful because it means you can keep a, a range of books, as you say, from a range of content providers in the one app. And um, Voice Dream on iOS in particular does an incredible job. And I think you've just gone into making your material available in EPUB, right? So that facilitates using technologies like iBooks, which is available for every iPhone at no charge. Yep, we just finished converting our entire library into an EPUB format as well. So you can get them in a DAISY format. You can get them in a a BRF file, which you can then take to an embosser or put into your refreshable Braille display. Um, You can get them in an audio format. We have all of our English and Spanish titles in an MP3 format. And then, uh, but, but we do have titles in 33 different languages. And so you can get those in. Uh, a daisy format, karaoke style reading, so it gets voiced by the device plus um, has highlighted text. And now we've added this EPUB format so that you can import it into what you know iBooks on your Mac or on your iOS device. As well as y- you mentioned, Voice Dream Reader, they actually pull EPUB threes when they're available. So they'll pull a daisy file, or if it's available, yes. they'll pull an EPUB three. Yeah. Interesting. As many publications are available digitally now, Bookshare's mission, I guess, must have changed a bit because it used to be a kind of like a a legally sanctioned file sharing service for books where people would scan their own content using technology like OpenBook and then upload it. Does that still go on now or has digitization of books pretty much superseded that practice? Mm, Great question. Um, and, And I think a common misconception just because a book is in an ebook format, in a digital format, does not necessarily mean that it's an accessible format. You're right. We started as a chop and scan, scan operation. Think, think of 
Amazon meets Napster legally, right? Yeah, yeah. Where, I always thought of it as, as a bit Napster-like, actually. Yes. It, 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 you know what? Interestingly enough, that's that's where the the flash of brilliance from Jim Fructerman came in. He was chatting with his son about this new service called Napster. And it just dawned on him, wait a minute, we can do this with books because there is this copyright exemption. And he was working in the blindness community, had a lot of different contacts in there, and started to have people donate their copies of chopped and scanned books to a central repository, and then people could effectively download those books. So it's, it was very Napster-like when it started. We've then started to work with publishers, and they donate their content. So many of these publishers, you know, as a matter of fact, the 810 or 15 publishers that we have donated books to us have simply just turned on a feed. And so when Amazon gets a title that's about to be published, we get the title at the same time, and we both turn it on on the same day. That being said, there are thousands and thousands of publishers, and we have deals with you know 800 of the ones that you would know. But there are a number of publishers that you would you might know that that we don't have deals with, and so we still get requests from readers and requests from students here in the U.S. where we do a chop and scan and proof operation. So we. We do about 5,000 books a year in a chop and scan format. We still have a very important team of volunteers that finds books that aren't coming in from publishers and chop and scan and proof those books and, and submit them to the library. And then we get maybe five to 7,000 books a month in from publishers. What kind of quality control do you put in place? I guess scanning technology has improved a great deal since Bookshare first started, but it's still not absolutely perfect. So there, there must be some cleanup that has to go on before the title gets to the library. Yeah, for every book that we receive from a publisher, we put through what we call our ingestion pipeline. And what that <laughs> That's a nice, is, is, sounds like food, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it? It does. It does. Um what what we do is we programmatically check somewhere between 60 and 80 different things on those books. Does it have a table of contents appropriately marked in the text? Does it have page numbers? Does it have chapter titles? Does it have reflowable format content? All of those could be missing in a book, which even though it's a digital book, and this is back to your original question, right, which is have digital books made us slow down? And the answer is no, it's actually helped us. Because what we can do is we can programmatically find that table of contents and mark it as a table of contents. So now that's available. If the page numbers are missing, we can often add page numbers to the content so that all of a sudden we now have the ability to make that book navigable for someone who uh, is blind or visually impaired. So during this ingestion process, we make some changes from a not from a content perspective, but from a navigation and accessibility perspective. We make changes to those files and then we put them into the library. When we chop and scan a book, of course, the OCR technology, the optical character recognition scanning technology, which turns a image of a page into words, that technology gives us about a 90 or 91% accuracy rate. We found that for readers of books, not doing just kind of research, I need a snippet of a paragraph here and there, but if you're reading the book, that 90% to 95% accuracy rate just isn't good enough. So every book we chop and scan 
we proof every single one. And so we have somebody go through, we read that, they, they read that book, and then that book goes into the library after it's been proofed. It's quite a process then. How long will it typically take from when a book is scanned and submitted to when it actually makes it to the library for users to download? It's dependent on the complexity of the title. Obviously, a fourth grade literature book is pretty easy. Uh, I would submit, you know, something like Harry Potter. Chapter titles, no pictures, page numbers, proper navigation. Even if we have to chop and scan that book, it can be back in the collection within a, a week to maybe two weeks. The same grade level science book is way harder because all of a sudden you have images and diagrams and sidebars and callouts and formulas and equations. So all of the STEM or even STEAM, which is science, technology, engineering, art, and math, S-E-E-A-M, all of those books get harder. What does a reader do when, when the paragraph says, to the right is the picture of the Mona Lisa? This is da Vinci's most famous painting. Do you describe those pictures? I remember so, when I was a kid doing math text and they would have all these wonderful transcribers notes that the transcriber in, in the Braille text I was reading will have spent some painstaking time writing to try and describe something that could not be represented in, in a diagrammatic form that was meaningful to a blind person. Yeah, we, we do not do those long descriptions. And in fact, there, there's two technologies that allow all of those STEAM elements to be described. One of them is the most common technologies. One of them is alt text, which you can think about as when you roll over an image on the web, a little box pops up and it's a description of what that image is. Usually that alt text is the same thing in an ebook. If you have a, a short 140 character description of that image, you can put it in the alt text and a screen reader will read the alt text. If it's the Mona Lisa, I, I can't imagine trying to describe the Mona Lisa in 140 characters. So there needs to be a long description. So content creators more and more are able to put those long descriptions in and certainly the alt text in. When we look at books and judge them on accessibility, we gauge whether the alt text is meaningful because, you know, the equation to the right is the Pythagorean theorem that describes the relationship to the legs of a right triangle image. And so a content creator would put image in for every single equation in that book. And that's not meaningful alt text. With the number of books that we get in, there's there's no way we could describe all of those. And in fact, even if we could, we might describe it in a manner different than what the author was intending. And so now we'd be changing the meaning of the book. And, and we're very careful not to alter the content of the book. So rather than doing that ourselves, we're turning around and working with publishers to say, hey, you know what, your books aren't accessible unless they have alt text. And we would really love them to have long descriptions where it's needed. Now, there's some reasons you would not describe an image in a book. If it's accurately described in the surrounding text, you probably don't need a long description of that image as well because you're just going to repeat what's in the text. But it should have all text. So we work with publishers to say, hey, when you're producing content, please make sure it has all text and where necessary it has long descriptions. 
I was involved in the government relations field in New Zealand in 1994, managing the government relations program for the blindness agency here. And we actually passed a copyright exemption before the United States. And I remember meeting in the United States with some key officials who wanted to learn how we'd done that and examine the wording. I'm curious because we were very lucky with the wording in 1994. We couldn't have anticipated all of the technology that we have today. And the clause in our Copyright Act talks about transcribing into Braille, large print, or otherwise modifying. It mentions audio as well, but it has a kind of a blanket bit of language there, otherwise modify. I don't know if the Chaffee Amendment has that, but I wonder, do you feel you have the authority to take titles in a digital form from a publisher who you don't have an agreement with and reverse engineer it by virtue of the Chaffee Amendment being in place? Mm, great question. Um, and and the, we probably have that right. The flip side is we probably have a relationship with that publisher anyway. And so we would much rather go get permission than reverse engineer the title. We have worked very hard to maintain good relationships with the publishers and it's paid off, right? With, mm. we, we actually added a hundred thousand books to the collection last year alone. You know, 90 plus percent of those were publisher supplied files. So going to a publisher and saying, Hey, guess what? We just reverse engineered. We broke your encryption and reverse engineered your book. Uh, ha ha ha. That's, you know, that, that doesn't build good partnerships. Now the, the flip side is we certainly still chop and scan books. That's, absolutely within the Chafee Amendment. And that's one of the things we use when we talk to publishers who are not our partners is we say, look, we, we can do this anyway. Wouldn't you rather have your book better represented within Bookshare? Because if you give us the title, it's going to be exactly representative of how you wanted to publish versus if we have to chop and scan it. And so rather than try and reverse engineer all these digital rights management um, locks, we will go back and work with publishers. Can I talk a bit about the philosophical basis for Bookshare now in 2017? It's served an important role in an era where ebooks weren't a mainstream thing and you know, blind people were reading web braille and, and, and other electronic titles long before this became a thing in the mainstream. But with so many books now available electronically through mainstream accessible services like Kindle and iBooks. Do we need Bookshare anymore? And, and what's the justification for blind people being able to pay a flat fee and get all these titles essentially to keep it? You made the analogy about Napster, which I think is an excellent one earlier, but now it's like Bookshare is kind of like a Netflix for books, specifically for the print disabled community. And, and I wonder if the philosophical justification for it is a little weaker now, given the climate that's out there. Uh, you know, I think in some sense it's even stronger because as more and more people read electronic books, that means there's more and more electronic books, but yet they aren't all accessible. We, you know, and, and so we talked about just because it's digital doesn't mean it's accessible. We, we have an initiative called born accessible and I can sum it up in, in one quick phrase. If a book is born digital, it should be 
born accessible. And, and so that's our work with publishers to say, hey, you know what? You're building this digital book anyway. Make sure the table of contents is accurately represented in the HTML. Make sure the page numbers are there. Make sure the text is reflowable. Make sure that you use proper headers. So it's a tiny bit more expensive for that publisher to do that, but it opens up their market by, you know, three to 5% more people around the world. There are a number of readers, you mentioned the Kindle, that do not provide a level of accessibility that is acceptable to our audience. I'll go back to Harry Potter. When Kindle reads Harry Potter, it does a fine job. When Kindle reads a math book, it completely butchers it. It doesn't do math well. It doesn't do tables well. There's a number of things that that some of the mainstream readers don't do well that are critical to the community that we serve. And so I think that Bookshare becomes even more important for the variety of material that is now being published rather than the few books that were published in a, a digital format 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Where I think Bookshare stops being as important is when Born Accessible has done its job. I laugh that we run Bookshare and we're trying to put it out of business. And I say that because the instant we can get all the publishers to be publishing material in an accessible format, Bookshare becomes less important. And then Bookshare is a collection of um, backlist titles that might be out of production, that uh, might be done before the publisher was was publishing in an accessible format, you know, still super valuable, but all the new stuff will be published in an accessible format. Until that day, I think Bookshare is critical. So point very much taken regarding STEM subjects, especially where formatting can be complex, but is it right in 2017 for a blind person to be able to just pay a flat fee or maybe they've got their Bookshare subscription paid for and take the latest John Grisham or David Baldacci work of fiction, which is very easy to read on iBooks or Kindle, and get it for free rather than pay the author for their content in the same way that a sighted person has to? And, and you know, fair enough. You know, good question. Um, I, I, there, there are many members who have Audible subscriptions, have Bookshare subscriptions, And when they can, they buy the book. And when they can't, they go to Bookshare and get the title. This is a population that, by and large, and this is a generalization, so so there are always exceptions to it. But but by and large, it's a little bit more underserved, more difficult to get a job, more difficult to make a wage that is commensurate with someone else of their same talents and intellect level. And, And so where they can go to the library and borrow a book, that's great. You know, go go borrow that book. And I think that, again, I think that's a super important service. It's it's like if we removed all libraries from the planet and said, you know, if you want to get a book, go buy it. I don't think that's the right way to do it either. But there are still people, even though they could go to the library to borrow a book, they'll go buy it instead. And Bookshare is just that service, but it's a specialty version of that service. You mentioned the Born Accessible program. How is that going? Do you feel that you're making inroads and encouraging publishers to create accessible versions of all of the electronic material that's now being produced? You know, Jonathan, if you had asked me that 18 months ago, I would have said, oh, it's a big uphill uphill climb. I think in the last four or five months, we've seen some incredible progress. Publisher groups that we work with 
are starting to have dedicated uh, conferences specifically on accessibility, have accessibility policies, accessibility groups within their organizations. We've sat in the boardrooms of a number of very large and well-known publishers, some of the largest ones in the world, and talked with them about accessibility and, and even down to the point of here's how to format these different types of things. They, they bring in people and you know ask questions and, and we would get those questions answered for them. I think more and more we're seeing publishers recognize that it's more than just kind of the right thing to do. It's also a good business decision for them. One of the things that we're working on is making sure they understand the, the value of that business decision. In the United States, schools are required to provide an equivalent education regardless of disability. If that material that the student is using is not accessible, that education is not equivalent. So we work with schools to make sure they understand that they have to find specialized material for those students. And a lot of that times that material comes from Bookshare. But when they procure books from publishers, we ask them to make sure that publisher has an accessible version of the book. And, and so that now that's the demand side of the equation, right? Some of these, the biggest customers of these publishers are saying, hey, I want to make sure my, the book that I'm buying from you is accessible because, you know, Euclid's theorem of geometry hasn't changed in, you know, since Euclid died, but I can get that from you or I can get that from your competitor. And so now all of a sudden these publishers say, wow, accessibility is important. There's the demand side. And then we go to the publishers and say, hey, look, you're going to get asked about this by the schools. We can help you make sure that's accessible. So we're really kind of working on both the supply side and the demand side of the equation. And we're starting to really see a difference where publishers are saying, we need to make sure that we build this in from the get-go. And now we're talking about born accessible. With all due respect, I'm tired of retrofitting books, and we've retrofit 545,000 books as we put them into the library. It would be awesome to be able to just point to titles and say, hey, you know what? These books are accessible. So are there any books that you're getting now where you can just take them as they come from the publisher without making any kind of modification at all and just plonk them in the library as is? When we take titles into the library, it's all done programmatically. We'll see a list of new titles that have come in. Publishers, a lot of times, don't even notify us when a new title comes in. They just put it on the upload queue, which we then pull from and automatically ingest into the library. But we're starting to work with these publishers on a certification process that says, hey, look, submit your books to us. We'll go through it, each book on a title-by-title -title basis. We'll go back to you and tell you where you need to change those titles in order to make sure they're accessible. Make those changes. We'll go back through it again. So it's a really an interactive process with the publisher. And then we'll provide a seal of approval on that book to say, hey, you know what? This book is accessible. And we're starting to see publishers really come to us and say, I'm very interested in making sure that our books are accessible. Please go through it, work with us. We can change our process, not just the title, but our process. And we'll have this seal of approval, which then schools look at and, you know, the procurement offices of schools look at and say, this is great. If, if, if Benetech says this is accessible, it's good enough for me. 
Um, and and so again, we're starting to see some some real uptake on that. Yes, yeah, so I presume you're doing that on a consultancy basis. So that would be an additional revenue stream for you. It is a revenue stream, but from our perspective, you know, our mission is to make sure that people with a print disability have the same access to the same material as their peers. And so what we're doing is we're covering our costs on it because it's really justifying the fact that, you know, that publisher eventually is going to change enough processes that the books, that every book they publish is accessible. I hope they're not coming for you out there, are they? No, no, no. I, I haven't said anything wrong yet. <laughs> Let's talk about the Marrakesh Treaty because you were mentioning earlier about how you've nurtured these relationships with publishers. And I suspect that had you gone around reverse engineering books, there probably wouldn't be a Marrakesh Treaty because it was tricky enough as it was to get that enacted. Now, back in 1994, here in New Zealand, we got our Copyright Act passed. The Chafee Amendment was eventually enacted in the United States. And we kind of thought, well, this is great. So let's uh, let's exchange titles. And it wasn't that simple. And so way back in the 90s, we started making noises about going to the World Intellectual Property Organization and seeing if we could make some progress. It's been very long in the gestation. And the Marrakesh Treaty is an extremely exciting development, isn't it? It is. It's, you know, it's been, it's been 20 years, right? Because yeah. it, it just got ratified in October of last year by the 20th country, and that made it a valid international treaty. What it does is extends the Chafee Amendment or the New Zealand copyright exemption to any country that has ratified that treaty. And and a country ratifies that treaty um, by signing it, but also by making sure that their copyright law mirrors that of the Marrakesh treaty, which is effectively a mirror of the Chafee and and the New Zealand one. If someone has a print disability, they can have a book made for them without fear of repercussions. However, it is only for those people. So now all of a sudden you can share that book across borders with countries who have ratified the treaty without fear that that book is now leaving, you know, your jurisdiction in copyright law. So somebody from HarperCollins can say, great, I'm going to give this book to uh, somebody in New Zealand. And I know that just because it has left my copyright law uh, jurisdiction, that that book isn't going to get copied. How do you prevent people from making this valuable resource for so many blind people available to those who aren't entitled to it. I mean, once they've downloaded the title, it's out of your hands, isn't it? And there's no digital rights management on those titles. The physical DRM that people put on titles often breaks a screen reader. So certain screen readers just can't handle the digital rights management pieces of it. And so that book's inaccessible. So what's the point, right? We use what we call a social DRM. We fingerprint the book, we watermark the book, build it for a certain person, their name in that title, I'm sorry, name the book. Uh, We also make sure in the front of that book we say um, this title was built specifically for this person and is not to be used by anybody else. And it's a privilege to be able to get this title. And sharing this title is illegal. And so people understand that 
we also then, as I mentioned, we we watermark that book. And so if it in fact gets posted somewhere and we check, we can track that back to a member. And we have, we've had publishers say, hey, why is this book up here? And we've gone back to the to the member and said, you're illegally posting this title. My, my favorite story there was somebody was um, using a Bookshare book to learn how to code, some other print disability. So they got the book from us legally and they were learning how to code and um, they were learning how to do HTML web coding and they needed something to put up in their repository that they just built in HTML. And so they say, hey, let's just put this book up there without <laughs> recognizing that they had just done something illegal. We saw the book. We went to that member and we said, you can't post this book. And they were mortified that they had done something wrong. So, you know, you can count on your two hands the number of times that we have had copyright violations. And those copyright violations are down, you know, resolved within hours, if not within the day. Do you terminate membership in those situations? We have the capability to. We've never had to. Okay. You receive funding in the U.S. from the Department of Education, which allows any qualifying student to receive Bookshare free, which is fantastic. I understand that budget cuts may possibly be cutting into that funding, putting it in jeopardy. The answer is we don't know. There's a tremendous amount of uncertainty in the U.S. budgeting process, which is going on right now. As of the date that we are recording this, Tomorrow is the need to either extend the uh, U.S. budget or the government shuts down. Everybody believes that they will pass a resolution that continues the budget until they can come up with a with a budget deal. There's a huge amount of uncertainty in, in the entire budgeting process. The thing about Bookshare is that we have incredible support in both the House and the Senate and incredible support in both the Republics and the Democrats. Being print disabled doesn't really care whether you're rich or poor, Democrat or Republican, you know, what rural area you live in, or if you live in the middle of a city, it, it doesn't matter, right? And so our elected representatives recognize that there are thousands of people in their own district that benefit from Bookshare. And so we, we have really good support throughout Congress and, you know, throughout all of our rep ele uh, elected representatives. Because of our funding within the Department of Education and the administration's comments about reducing the size of the Department of Education, of course, that gives us some pause. But again, man, we have broad support. And so while we look at it and have to do contingency planning, we also feel pretty confident that when that final budget comes down, we're going to have the money that we need to continue to operate. You have a very diverse readership, obviously, with that education funding and a lot of students of all ages reading, and then you've got many adults as well. Are there titles that you will not carry? For example, how do you deal with the question of adult content and who can access that? So we're a library, and as a library manager – I, it's not up to me to say what my membership should or shouldn't be reading. It's really incumbent upon me to provide the books that they want to read. Now, 
it's also incumbent upon me to protect the youth from seeing things they shouldn't see. And so we do have an adult collection, but we make sure that based on birth date, you cannot access that adult collection until you're over 18. So we do have some of those protections in place. But again, I, I don't feel like I should be the one to tell anybody else what they should or shouldn't read. I feel like I should enable them to read the books that they want to, that they want to access. How much does it cost to join Bookshare then as we start to wrap up? And how does one start the process of becoming a member of Bookshare? And I guess this might vary a bit from country to country, right? It does. In the United States, we'll start there. If you are a student of any age in a recognized school, um, which includes homeschooling, by the way, so a public school, a private school, a parochial school, homeschool, uh, a trade school, any student of any age within the United States, you get Bookshare for free as long as you have a qualifying print disability. If you are not a student, then Bookshare is $50 for the year. We do a $25 setup fee the first year and then $50 per year for every year after that. For most of the industrialized world, that price still holds. Um, so in New Zealand, in Great Britain, in France, in Sweden, it's going to be $50, you know, $75 for the first year and $50 for every year after that. For the developing world, we have indexed the Bookshare membership fee with the World Bank Country Wealth Index. So in poor nations, it's $9 a year for all you can read. In middle-income nations, I think it's $26 for all you can read. So the, so the price goes up based on the wealth, the average wealth of the country. But for the most developed world, it's, it is, you know, industrialized nations, it's $50 a year. And again, unlimited downloads for that $50. Sign up is super easy, www.bookshare.org. And then you'll see organizational member, individual member, and you click on the individual member. The organizational member is typically for schools. Um, we also do some senior centers. All that does is give someone in an organization the ability to provide uh, assignments and reading lists to the people within their organization. But again, that's almost exclusively used by schools here in the United States. For everyone else, it's click on sign up for individual membership. You fill out a little bit of information. We do collect a proof of disability. That being said, we work with partners. So we we work with uh, the Royal National Institute for Blind People in the UK. We work with Vision Australia. We work with the uh, New Zealand Library for the Blind and Visually Impaired. Those organizations can collect that proof of disability and certify to us that, that you have provided that proof of disability. And then your membership goes through. Okay, so, so if, if you're a member of one of those libraries, then uh-huh. that's sufficient to to qualify, that's is correct. that right? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. And some of those libraries even have a pass-through service where you can go to, to that library and search the Bookshare titles uh, through that library and, and get titles that way. You've talked about Born Accessible, and as we finish, I'm curious to hear your dream of when you think, if ever – we would have got to the point where everything being produced is accessible out of the box without the need for 
modification? Are we going to get there? And if so, when do you think we'll get there? Yeah, we'll get there. I'm I'm confident we're going to get there. I don't know how long it's going to take. Again, we're seeing some some really positive signs from some big publishers. This is an industry that doesn't move very quickly, generally, and has some big processes in place that they need to revamp. When we look at a collection of books from you know certain publishers, we, we can tell them where their process needs to be changed because we see the same errors in all of their books. As we go through and help them correct those errors, those books get better. Other publishers see that they are starting to sell more books because of that. And so they start to make their, you know, the changes that they need to to their process. But it does take time. And so it's probably, you know, five years before we start to really see the beginnings of of a material difference. And, you know, 10 to 15 years, but but boy, you know, 10 to 15 years is a long time in when you're really talking about technology because ebook is is really a, a technology based solution. When you're talking about 10 years in technology, you can there are a lot of changes that can take place. So I would submit that that within 10 years, a bunch of the books that get published as an ebook are going to be accessible. Well, you know, Bookshare, I think, would be considered by most people who've used it an absolute international treasure. And congratulations on all you've achieved to date. And it's been a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for giving us your time. Jonathan, great questions. Thank you very much. It's, it's, it's been fun. I've, I've enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Blind Side, a production of Mosin Consulting. On the web at mosin.org. 